Okay, welcome to Earth Brother podcast episode 6. Here with me I have uh, Narahari Pram. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, good to have you here. So Narahari is a friend. Uh, I think we met two or three years yeah, back. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. And being in touch every now and then. So we've got some interesting topics that we want to discuss here. But before that, um, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about, about yourself? Yes, so uh, I was born in, in Lahti, it's a city in, in Finland, about one hour and a half from Helsinki. Uh, I lived here there 21 years and then I moved abroad. I always felt like in, in Lahti somehow people were not so open to spirituality or things that I was interested about. And I just felt like I, I want to change my life. Um, like, well, I could say I had a normal childhood. Uh, nothing special happened, except when I was 14. No, no, my father had a, a cancer, colon cancer. When I was about 12, then he had the treatment, what the Western medicine calls treatment for cancer. And we can talk about that as well, yes. about treatments. Uh, and then, so he had this treatment and then of course he didn't change anything in his life. They made an operation, they cut out the, the lower part of the intestine, because that's where the cancer was. Mm. And then he didn't change his uh, habits or his behavior, and so the, the cancer spread some years later and then he died when I was 14. And I felt like somehow uh, existential crisis, like what's the meaning of life and why people are dying and all these kind of things. And then I, I start to have this uh, depression and anxiety, uh, what, what in our culture they call like mental disease, but I call it more like an unbalance of the mind. So I understood then many years later it was because I, ha I had a lot of sorrow and a lot of unprocessed emotions that this uh, the death of my father caused and all kind of things. And then I kind of cut myself off from the feelings and, and this energy, because human beings have uh, a lot of energies like emotional energy is very important if you don't express it, it kind of gets stuck in the body. Was it a, a like a voluntary decision to cut off yourself from the feelings yeah, or, somehow, or did it happen automatically somehow? I think it was automatic somehow, like I was not so aware of what's happening, but I just remember feeling like something pain and I was thinking like, oh, I don't want to feel this pain and then somehow it just disappeared. And then later on I understood like I got my emotion and energy off, so then all the energy got stuck in the head. And then I had all this like obsessive thinking and, and uh, panic attacks have started to also happen when I was about uh, 15 and then I was suffering a lot from my uh, mental unbalance. And I, I went to psych psychologist because I was like what, what to do and I, I felt like they told me some things and they made some tests, and, but I, I felt like they cannot help me. Mm. I had this, this feeling like I just know, they, they don't know what to do. So I went to library and I, I started to read a lot of books. 
about spirituality, religion, psychology. And I found this, uh, it was a, a guru or a teacher living in India called Osho. Um, and I read a lot of his books and I, I start to understand that a lot of things that I was, I have been told by my parents, by society and by the school, a lot of this information, it was like uh, from one side, that it was not the whole, whole picture, it was like a lot of lies. Uh, one, one thing in particular, I remember, I, I didn't want to eat meat ever since I was a kid. And my, my parents told me and in the school they said, oh, a human being has to eat meat, otherwise they cannot survive. And then I was reading a book about India, like there's millions of people who never eat meat. And then I, I became so angry, I was like, oh, like 17, 15 years of my life, people have been lying to me. And then I started to think like, I, I made the decision, I understood everything people told me, I cannot trust, it's, it's true. So everything uh, I have been told, I have to throw away. I have to empty my brain, empty my mind of everything and start to learn things by myself. Yeah, and then somehow it just came to my, my mind, like I stopped school, I, I went to Lukio, which is like the high school for two years and I, I quit that, I was like, no, this is not for me. And then I went to a professional school, I was thinking maybe I, I will become electrician. But that didn't feel right either. And in, in that school I, I also studied psychology for one year. Because I had an idea maybe I'd become a psychologist. But no, it didn't feel right. Again, uh, as in Western medicine, usually it's like I felt like the psychology uh, is teaching people to give a person a label and then it's kind of treating this label, it's not looking at the whole person. And just feel like this is not for me either. I, I felt like I have to leave Finland, I have to travel. My, my parents, they were like older generation. Uh, my mother was 46 when I was born, my father was 53. And I just felt like oh, I have to go and ex explore the world. Like my parents, they never went outside of Finland, almost at all, except they went to Sweden and Estonia. But I just felt I had to, to leave. So where did you, you go from there? I went to Britain, UK. And I, I went there to, to find work. I was like, oh, I have to find a way to, to support myself financially and kind of get myself uh, established, fixed in this kind of material life, because that's also part of the growing process. So I went there, I, I found work in a, uh, it was a theme park, this kind of, where they have, like, it, it opened in the summer and there's all these rides, roller coasters, where people like to, it was a lot of kids there. And I, I went there to do cleaning and then I found also work like a, uh, selling it uh, in the souvenir shops yeah, and I was doing that work in the summertime and then 
I, I had this calling to go to India ever since I read that book about India. I was like, oh, I have to go there to find some answers. I, I always been attracted to different um, cultures and different beliefs. And I just felt like, oh, in India, there's so many different religions and belief systems. And I, I want to go there and there's something for me there. So I went to India when I was 23 the first time. And I remember the feeling first time I went to India in the airport. I just felt like, oh, this is like coming home. I, I felt like I have been living here before. Interesting. So you were already, you were living in UK and from UK you made the trips to India. Yes. And uh, at this point I have to ask you, we had this conversation before, but I can't remember. Uh, would you tell me about uh, the, like, how did you uh, get this name, Narahari Pram? Yes. I feel like it has something to do with India. Yeah. And I feel like you weren't born with it. <laughs> Yeah, actually, I, I got the, the name. I had that's a normal, well, normal Finnish name when I was born. But then at some point I, I felt like um, I need to get a new name. Because in, in many cultures it's like part of the spiritual growing. Like you have one name and in that name yourself you have a lot of associations with that name and also your family and all the other people they put a lot of association with that name so i felt like uh, in order to really change myself i have to change my name it's a maybe a symbology also but it was also a very strong energetic process absolutely i feel i feel that the name certainly carries a lot of energy mm. with it and, and all the associations that are you know associated with with that, all the thoughts and ideas that, mm. and the beliefs that are associated with that name, uh, certainly that's something that you would carry carry around with that name. Mm. So, uh, so your name it wasn't uh, was it like uh, something that you just uh, decided to change, or was it something that was given to you somehow? Yeah, it was uh, given to me by one teacher. Uh, this teacher, uh, she she was actually American. I mean, she is American woman. She left USA when she was seventeen, and she went to live to India in the in the ashram of of this teacher also. Uh, in the South India, in a place called Pune, and she was living there for twenty six years. And when this teacher died, then she left and she, she moved to UK and now she's traveling around the world teaching Tantra. And I, I participated in one of her Tantra workshops and I, I heard that she's giving spiritual names to people. And I was like, oh, I, I want also one. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, it was very nice kind of ceremony. Uh, we were like, I think, 11 people who got new names and she kind of channeled this name for me. Uh, she went into kind of trance and she decided that this was my name. Is there, is there something that you have to do 
in order to be like applicable for a, a new name uh, or is it something that you can request uh, you can request so you don't need to go through certain rights uh, before you can you can receive a new name uh, i think uh, she likes to know people a little bit yeah and of course because i did the tantra uh, workshop which was about one week workshop and she already could see my energies a little bit during that time that's interesting yes so uh tell me a little bit i know that you went to india and uh you discovered uh meditation and, and you've spoken about uh meditation and vipassana meditation mm. and and how it's been uh, uh very helpful uh and it's it's sort of helped you in in uh those areas that traditional therapy etc was mm. unable to to help so mm. tell us a little bit about uh, meditation how, how you discovered it and what what um how it has helped helped you ever since yeah it's interesting quest an interesting journey i think first time i discovered meditation when i was 17 like i'm not sure i must have read about it somewhere i don't remember but at the time, uh, at 17, I, I was suffering from these panic attacks. And those who don't know, panic attacks is like a, your, your heart suddenly starts to, to beat faster and you, you have fear in your mind. And it's like it goes in a cycle. The more you feel afraid, then the more you kind of start to feel afraid of feeling afraid. It's very... For the mind, it's very strange feeling, like you you feel afraid, and then it just goes in a loop, increase. And I used to, when I had this feeling, I I would escape it somehow. I would start to eat, like I used to be very fat. I was one hundred twenty kilos. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, I couldn't believe that. Yeah, many people say that actually. Yeah. So I I was kind of a compulsive eater, just to escape this feeling of of, of fear. Yeah, and I used to, as a kid, I used to watch a lot of television and play a lot of video games and all kind of things that's not to feel that fear. Yeah, and then at 17, I was kind of tired of, I was like, I don't want to run away anymore. I'm going to face the fear. I said, I don't care even if I die. I told myself, I'm going to face the fear. Doesn't matter. Then I just decided one day, okay, I'm going to sit on the floor. And I'm... Uh, it, I like to let the fear come if it kills me then I die mm. and it was very interesting uh, process because somehow I understood like oh my mind is afraid but I'm not going to die I knew so I, I sit there and I was waiting then the heart started to beat and I I felt these uh, feelings that I was avoiding for many years also like emotion sadness and all kind of things, then it start to increase. But then at some point I felt like uh, something I had never heard, felt before. It was this kind of light and like love and some, something I never felt before. And I was like, okay, then it, the, the fear started to kind of calm and everything changed. So I, I felt like in that moment I went to another state of being or I, I felt like I'm going to maybe some light or I don't know, I went somewhere. My, my consciousness went to another level of, of being. 
I think. Once I came back, I opened my eyes. I was like, I'm back in my body. But something had changed. Like forever. Yeah, because now you now you know that that the fear doesn't kill you mm. and you can be with it. Yes. I think that's something that once you learn it experientially, mm. you cannot mm. unlearn it anymore. Like, yes. Yeah. So that was kind of like my first experience of meditation. And then after that experience, I, I start to observe, like I stop eating compulsively. I start to change a lot of things. I start to change my diet, even to, to be more healthy. And I start this kind of process of inner cleaning. Um, yeah, so meditation, of course, I was somehow not doing it consciously uh, until then I went to India. Of course, I, I went to India with an idea like, oh, I want to learn meditation and yoga. Uh, actually, first time I went to India, my idea was to be there like for six months, but I, I left after one month. Because I, I had, uh, I drink some water that was not clean and then I had all these stomach problems. Okay. Uh, and I was like, no, I have to come back again. So next time only I went to India when I was 24. And that's when I went with the idea that like, no, now I need to learn meditation and yoga. And I ha- went to one place in the south of India called Auroville. Auroville. And it's a community, it's like a big kind of city and there's a lot of foreigners living there and it's like a spiritual community. And I went there to visit and I, they had a notice board in one place and they said, oh, uh, workshop, uh, five massage includes free uh, teaching of yoga, meditation. And I was like, okay, I will go there. I felt like calling. So I went to the workshop. Mm, and I met this uh, this teacher of the workshop who's an Israeli man. And it was two weeks workshop. Every morning there was a, it was not part of the workshop, but he said he recommend everybody to come for a yoga meditation in the morning before the actual workshop start. So I went every day. And then after the workshop, then he said to me like, oh, you, you like meditation very much and he recommend me I go to this retreat, Vipassana retreat. I said, yeah, sure. I want to, to explore it even more, what this is. So it was 20, 24, it was uh, February, end of February. Uh, and I went to the retreat and it was interesting. I've never been in a retreat. It was very interesting. It's like you go to a place, it's outside of the city center, it was somewhere in the mountains. Uh, and people talk go there just to meditate, nothing else, no other activities around there. So it's uh, the structure, it's uh, kind of intense, it's 10 days of meditation, 10 hours a day. And you're not allowed to speak to anyone. Can you speak? after the 10 hours of meditation like in the evenings or no. you don't speak for 10 days no. at all only you have uh, the teachers they ask you how is the meditation going so you can answer yeah and then if you have some problem like physical problem or something you can always if you really need you can talk with teachers but 
with nobody else. What about then, um, I'm very curious about this yeah. myself, um, what about the meditation itself, like um, 10 hours a day, do you sit down for 10 hours or can you lie down or like how does it work for, for people who mm. have challenges with the back? Uh, how, yeah. how can you do it? The idea is that you, you sit in, in the meditation hall, you sit, you can, if you have a physical problem in the body, you can sit on a chair. But usually okay. it's all only on the floor, on pillows. And it's like, it goes like uh, one hour in the walls. It's like one hour sitting and then there's a little break and then you go and walk outside. Okay, so you don't like continuously meditate for 10 hours. You can no. take breaks, go to the nature, take a walk, yes. maybe lie down a little mm. bit. Okay. Yes. Yeah, the idea is like in the meditation hall, you don't lie down. If you really need, I mean, you can lie down for a couple of minutes, but not like uh, for a long time. So you don't, you don't meditate lying down. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's very intense, like um, process. It it helps a lot this silence. I remember the feeling of first three days. Uh, you don't speak with anyone. Your mind start to come down. Because normally in our daily life, we are not even aware that we have this constant chatter going on in our mind. Yeah, I noticed this, like if I go an expedition somewhere in the nature, mm -hmm. it takes about that time, mm -hmm. about three days yeah. for the mind to actually properly calm down. Mm -hmm. And the uh, funny thing is that most people have don't even have a single experience in their life mm -hmm. from something like that, yeah. from actually being more than three days uh excluded from from noise or other mm. distractions etc sure. and this is why the system that we have here is uh flawed in the sense that our weekend is two days long mm. it's not long enough to fully reset yeah. so you don't actually ever get to fully reset and mm. and recover mm. so you're in a way that like like stress full state it's it's chronic and continues in, mm. in many ways for, for people who live sort of normal lives. And mm. I think that's something, I, I think this awareness of, of it taking a couple of days to, to fully reset is, is important, you know, to, to tell people. And I think doing Vipassana or, or going on a nature expedition, mm. something that gets you mm. to really quiet, quiet down, mm. uh, would be uh, quite useful. In, in so many ways to integrate, you know, yes. to do regularly. I think it's very important for everybody to experience this. Yes. And for practicality, still like it's part of the retreat. First you go there, you, you give to, to safekeeping, you give all your, your money, all your passports, your belongings, any books that you have, notebooks. Because the idea is you don't distract yourself by writing, by reading, by anything. So you don't write also? No. I have to ask you, did you feel the urge to speak or to share no. your feelings at any point? You were content with, mm. with not speaking. Yes. So did it get, uh, like, was there, like, the way I think about it is that there was probably a peak at which it was most difficult. And once you go through that peak, then mm. it sort of gets easier how does it go or does it get 
more difficult as as time goes on. That's also quite individual. What about for you? But but I mean in uh, in general, I mean there's also in the day, uh, in the evenings of every day, there's a video discourse discourse from that main teacher who who create the whole organization. So he explained what you do today, uh, what can happen, and he gives instruction why you do something. So you get a lot of a lot of teaching. Okay. For your, for your mind to understand what happens, why you do it. It's very well structured. And he explains this main teacher. Uh, uh, main teacher, his name is Goenga. He was an Indian guy who was born in Burma. He died already maybe 10 years ago. He created this Vipassana organization. Yeah, and, and he tells like, it's usually people have most difficulties on the second day and the sixth day of the retreat. Interesting. And I remember myself like, for, for me it was interesting. I had very turning point in, in, the, in the fourth day of the retreat. It was like, uh, I had a lot of pain in my legs and a lot of negativity in my mind which later on I understood is part of the process. But I was like, uh, I had this pain, I was sitting and I was trying to put pillows and change posters and nothing helped and I was like, pain is still there. <laughs> and then they say, everything changes. But this pain is, doesn't change, it's always there. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was like, I had a moment, I was like, no, I have to run away from here, like I can't take it. <laughs> And then luckily in that moment, uh, one of the helpers of the, um, uh, of the retreat, like because there's these helpers who work in the kitchen, things like that, clean. One of the helpers somehow, this was a woman who could, who could see that I was having really struggle. And then she just felt it somehow, she came to talk to me, although it's like men and women are also separated. Men are not supposed to talk to women. Interesting. And it's like, but somehow I was walking close to where the women are and somehow she managed to find me in the correct moment. Uh, of course, the, somehow like the spirits guide her in that moment. She does say something like to me that helped me to understand like this was part of the process. And yeah, then I, I don't remember exactly what words she used, but somehow the energy, the energy was like supportive. And I went back and, uh, and I decided like, okay, this is part of the process. I have to go over this point. So it was uh, interesting. I started to have the pain again in my leg. But then I discovered like there's a link. I had the trauma in my mind in that moment that arose and uh, I didn't want to remember that thing or I didn't want to feel the, the traumatic event. It was like uh, I didn't want to remember it, I didn't want to feel it. I was like okay now the pain comes there but something happens in my mind at the same time. So I could see the connection. Then I said okay I have to go through that thing in my mind, in my feelings and somehow accepting that okay it happened and this feeling is here, so let it be. 
Yeah, and it was like a mental process also. Like I could feel almost like I had two voices in my head. Like one was like saying, I have to run away right now. Then I said, no, I have to stay. So I, I remember that kind of uh, feeling of being split. I, one part of my mind said to the other part, if she want to go away, you go away. I'm going to stay. <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy yeah. like after that it's like this happened and then then it, it's like everything went quiet and the pain disappeared everything went still yeah. mm. interesting so that was one turning point and 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 so how this this um uh, how did the rest of the retreat go then with this? Did it did it come back or 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 how or did it change your sort of like your perspective, like how how you approach the pain? Was there something that uh, changed for good? In that yeah, moment? something changed for good. Yeah, I felt in that moment something left. Yeah, something very deep, and then after that, I didn't have this maybe i had some pains but i already said like i i felt like oh i know what what this is about and once i had the experience i could kind of work with it then after the retreat uh it was very intense retreat for me and after the, after 10 days they say okay now you can talk for me it took like three hours and in one to talk with anybody because they had to meditate more <laughs> yeah, and they give you feedback form like how, you know you can write how was your experience. I, I was like, uh, like I wouldn't write for three hours. I was like, no. Yeah. And anyway, then later on I understood. Okay, um, like right, I was having, uh, I was having this depression in my life for ten years. From the moment my father died when I was 14 until I was 24 in this retreat, I was carrying depression with me. And then somehow I understood like, okay, I can let it go in this moment. But it was strange, like um, human mind that we carry something, even if it's painful, but because it's what we know, like we associate ourselves with that. Like so, I Identify, I had the, yeah, yeah it, I I had the identification like oh I'm a depressed person, but then it was strange like oh but without depression then who am I? Mm, that's the question. Yeah, and then that I guess uh, started the journey of sort of a self discovery. Yeah, you know, exactly. I guess which I guess never really ends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like it it kind of I felt like completely reborn. I felt like some very deep darkness that was kind of in my life present. I don't know, for, for this life, maybe also past life things, I felt like now I have a chance to start again. Felt like this space, spaciousness, I could feel like, okay, now I can fill it with something good. Incredible. Thanks a lot for sharing your, your personal story. And so I was about to ask you, like, what were the benefits of this, this uh, retreat and your own experiences? But I guess you already touched a little bit on that. But mm. uh, what I'm curious about next is that, uh, so uh, what what's next? Like, so did you continue to go on these uh, 
retreats and continue to get mm. some gain some benefits from from doing it yeah i i understood like okay this is like a, a planting a seed and i have to nurture it for it to grow so i decide i commit myself to meditate every day uh, they recommend like every day for two hours and i was even doing that for a while and then uh, I, I continued like meditating one hour almost every day except when I was like traveling on an airplane or something like this but I was just commit myself to, to practicing this technique and I, I could feel like oh it's benefiting me a lot and uh, I continued like I, I went uh, almost once a year more or less to a retreat and I continued to meditate every day and I, I continued this uh, method of meditation for 11 years until I was 35 and then I felt like um, I went to the retreat but then I felt like I'm stuck somewhere like nothing is happening anymore so I, I felt like now is the time that whatever I got out of this technique it's kind of done its job now I have to move on and so you moved on and then uh, of course it's going to be interesting where we're going to moving on but before mm. we move on with this uh, mm. you certainly uh, discovered some other um, means of healing and and certainly you did work on 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 diet and like cleansing the body mm. and, and and stuff like mm. that so uh, that's what kind of what i would like to also talk about um, which is surely like an important part of this healing process it's mm. like uh, detox and you know mm. cleansing the colon cleansing the body and uh you know starting to eat healthier hel mm. healthier foods and having healthier uh, sort of routines mm. uh, in life so what other things besides meditation were mm. you doing uh, within these 10 years and and what kind of uh, what kind of routines did you learn and, and how have they changed over the years big topic <laughs> well yeah it's um hmm. we could start for example when i was 23 and i went to india for the first time then i i drink this water that was not very clean in, in india you have to be very careful about the water that you drink and i drink some uh polluted water and then after that i was like sick for a couple of days i could do nothing but staying down even if i drank drank water i i would just vomit it out and i was like one day i was just lying in a bed and not, not being able to even to get up at all so but then after that being very sick uh, i start to eat fruits but uh, yeah it's like I don't know I remember going back to the UK and still having these kind of stomach problems continue uh, and I would feel like every couple of weeks it would I had this time of like when I had diarrhea and my stomach was like acting very strange was it related to the, the stomach bug that you got in India uh, it was yeah because okay. I I went then at some point I went to a laboratory I went to doctor and said okay I have this thing and they said they asked me like oh, have you drink some water uh, in India 
Yeah, like because I thought of course about my travels and their last year in the examiner just stool and they they study and they found this amoeba which is like a, it's called ant amoeba it's very strong it's very difficult to get out of the intestine it kind of uh, get itself in some interlining so it's it's, it's a, like a parasite yeah and what, what kind of a parasite? It's like a worm? It's, uh, it's I don't know exactly, it's some kind of uh, mi- microscopic like... Microscopic. Yeah, microscopic is like, it's just ameba. I don't know how they are exactly. But then I was like, okay, I have to get it out. And uh, first, I was, again, I was in India at the time. Well, actually, I did this examination in, in our will in this place in India. That they also have Western doctors. Then I was like, okay, I, I tried uh, Ayurvedic medicine and, and it was not doing anything. Then I, oh yeah, at the time I also went to Thailand in, to follow there. Then I tried uh, some kind of um, Chinese medicine herbs that was not doing anything. Then I was even so desperate, I even tried antibiotics. That was not doing anything for it to, to heal it. Okay. Yeah, then I was I was reading also to make a research because I always uh, one of my passions in life is to make research. Like if if something happens or if I want to know something, I I, I read about it myself, and I discovered that uh, uh, cleaning of the colon is very important. That the diet is very important. For example, I discovered that uh, certain foods are like very acidic in the nature, like protein foods. Of course, meat is very acidic, and milk also, milk products, eggs, things like that. But I even discovered that uh, grains and beans and things like that, when they uh, when they break down in the body, it causes like acidic. Or what what's left is like acidic stuff. I was like, okay, I need to make my diet very alkaline to, to get rid of the parasite, I understood. So what did you do to um, begin to alkalize your body? Uh, actually, I was reading this book called uh, Grape Cure Diet. It's about, uh, it's about how grapes have something in the seed of the, in the, in the peel of the grape. It's something that helps clean out parasites, first of all. So I was like, uh, commit myself to do that for like one week or two, only eat grapes. Only, so you ate nothing else but yeah. grapes for two weeks? Like, yes. Okay. Yeah, I, and I, I felt after that, I felt like, okay, now it kind of uh, feels better. And then, uh, and then I also start to do this uh, colonics, colonics hydrotherapy, which is like, Colonics machine is a machine that pumps the water in, in your intestine and takes it out again. Does it many times to, to clean it. So okay, if I have something in the intestine, I have to clean it out. And I went to do this colonic therapy and a couple of times and then I start to change my diet. I was thinking I'm gonna eat only like fruits, be like a fruitarian for a while. That wasn't very long and I, I felt like, okay, I have to eat also something else. But 
I don't know exactly what my diet was at the time, but slowly I stopped eating, for example, all kind of grains. And I start to eat more like fruits and vegetables and oh, wheatgrass juice. Maybe uh, wheatgrass juice is, is this green green juice that's made of the of the wheatgrass. It's very very alkalizing. It's very strong. At the time I was again in uh, in London. Maybe this the the time frame is not so accurate in my mind, perhaps. Okay, it don't matter. Yeah, but uh, I start to drink the sweet grass juice, which is very very alkalizing. And yeah, and then I, I start to feel like better, and I continue doing like this colonics, and I I get this uh, enema bag. Enema bag is like a bag that you fill with water and then you clean your own intestine with that. It's not as effective as the colonic machine. But this still works for the cleaning of the, of the colon. Interesting. How do you do it? Uh, it it's a plastic bag and there's tube. Okay. And you fill the bag with, with water, you, you put the bag somewhere like high like this and then you okay. put the end of the tube in your anus. Yeah. And then the water goes and cleans the cleans the intestine, and then you you leave it there like for twenty minutes, and then you and when you feel like you just le- let the water out and it cleans the intestine. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and I I also uh, enema is interesting. There's a lot of information. Mm, also, you can you can put coffee in the enema, and coffee has some certain properties. That it's uh, it cleans the, the liver very effectively, it cleans the intestine. So I tried this different kind of methods of of colon cleansing. Interesting, and I'm really curious about uh, like uh, your sort of gut microbial uh, sort of uh, uh, cultures. Mm-hmm. So. When you were cleansing your colon, did you realize that, or or did you did you were you studying like, uh, you know, gut microbes and, and their importance mm. at, the, at the time and mm. and uh, was it something that or did you find out that you were sort of washing away something important as mm. as well or was it uh, purely just positive uh, effects to do to do that? Um, yeah, I was reading of course about lactobacillus and all these things and how important it is like when I was going to do when I went to do this colonics and colon cleansing and things like that I went to get this lactobacillus from the pharmacy because I knew that I have to to put new new good bacteria inside of course in India uh, I was eating also a lot of yogurt although um, uh, I have like lactose intolerance, I cannot drink milk, but yogurt somehow it's okay. Because the bacteria already digest the lactose from that. And also I was eating a lot of things like sauerkraut. Uh, and I also like kimchi and I like these fermented foods. And miso of course is very good. Uh, it has a lot of benefits. Mm, yeah, I, I remember reading books about like fermenting 
made it my own sauerkraut for a while. Nice, I nice. Was, I was eating it every day. Yeah, yeah. Gotta love it. I, yeah. I've, I've made my own as mm. well. It's a beautiful process. So yeah. is there anything else that you have to, like, uh, you found out that you have to sort of supplement due to the colon glands? Mm, I don't remember anything specific right now. Yeah, it's interesting about colon. It, it's um, one of these colon cleansing, I feel, is like a taboo kind of people who don't talk about the colon health very much. So I don't really understand why, because it's so important. Like, of course, because my father had this colon cancer when I was a kid, that kind of imprint me with the idea. So it's, it's so important to keep your colon healthy. Uh, related perhaps to that is like I myself, I had a lot of constipation and stomach pains when I was a kid. I had periods, a constipation, I had like periods like three, four days, I couldn't go to the toilet at all. Hmm. Uh, I had sometimes in tenemas, I had these periods, I had stomach pain and, and vomiting, like kind of strange things with the stomach happen. Uh, of course, in, in that we can talk about it later, but uh, of course it's a lot of emotional stuff that I was processing. Not only my, my own, but also my mother and my father had some trauma war and things like that. They couldn't process. Yeah, it, it comes through yeah. the next generation exactly. to, yeah. to work with. Yeah, at the moment I didn't understand mm. why I have all this, but later on I understood like, oh, okay, so that. Like, oh, it, I, uh, somehow I understood that, okay, I've been processing a lot of things in my own life that actually come from my parents, from my camp, grandparents. Yeah, like and that. yeah, and I see the connection immediately when you also mentioned that your father had mm. issues in the colon area and you're yeah, having yeah. issues in the colon area. Yeah. So it's definitely seems like it's something that is passed down, some trauma or something yeah. that needs to be worked with and... Yes. And released and and usually when I when I talk about colon health, I also mention the importance of the squatting position when you go to the toilet. All right. So so Asians ha- has this have this uh, yes sort of figured out. Yeah, we don't. Be- yeah, it, yeah, it is because I understood the first time yeah. I went to India. Uh, there was this squatting toilet. I was like, okay, so I I need to squat. And it, it immediately it felt like when I went to uh, Poot and I felt like now it's cle- cleaning much yeah. better than ever before. It just comes through and that's yeah, and then amazing. I, yeah. It is and I, I met also a lot of research about that. We can maybe send some links later. Sure. Yeah. Uh, there's a very interesting talk uh, from a German woman who studied this and, and I, I also see like there's these diagrams you can find like western style toilet is like when you sit the the colon is like there's a little it's almost like a string in the end of the colon and when you sit the string is not open properly and it's only when you squat only when you have your legs like here yeah but then it kind of like the string opens and the the, the colon it's like opens properly if you don't squat the, the string is like holding the colon yeah yeah it's it's strange how how we're not taught this in, yeah, in school it, and, exactly. and most people have not don't have this understanding yeah, yeah. 
I find that in the like if you're using a traditional toilet bowl, what you can do is like put a small stool yeah, in front I know. of you, so you get your legs up. Yes. So that definitely does the job. But I mean, I think I still feel like the best kind of dump that you can take mm-hmm. is out in the woods. Yeah. You're squatting, you're holding on to two trees and you're just letting it come up and then <laughs> <laughs> it just yeah. comes out. <laughs> yeah, I realized that this, uh, this little stool you can use in UK, they are selling this. Well, it's from the UK, the company is called the Squatty Potty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very good. Very good. Uh, good, there's, good, a, good. there's a video on, on YouTube, there's something like Squatty Potty Unicorn Poop Rainbow. And it's, yeah. it's this, uh, it's like a video made of, of that, like the unicorn is, is pooping, is sitting on this squatty potty or, or like normal toilet, but then the legs are up and, yeah. and the unicorn is pooping like little, little rainbows. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I appreciate it because it has to be made funny because people, yeah. uh, I, I don't know, people are like so stuck up with this, like you have to make it yeah. through humor. Otherwise, people don't understand. They don't want to think about like, oh, how is this thing? Yeah, yeah, you gotta, you gotta give them what they can grasp onto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So, um, tell me what other uh, like routines were part of your your healing process, and also, uh, you can tell a little bit about how um how your colon health has uh, improved over over the mm-hmm. years until until this day. But what other routines did you have, uh, like? Did you do yoga or, or do some other things that, that help the process? Oh uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yoga has been a very important thing for my life also. Like I I did this uh, workshop of time massage and then we did also yoga in the morning. So I really like it from the first moment. Mm, I found myself, I was kind of flexible. And I could do a lot of the yoga positions and I, I was practicing yoga also like uh, daily for many years. It kind of helps with the meditation also in a way. Like when you when you sit, if you if your body is not feeling comfortable, it's more difficult to meditate. That's it. Yeah, I find the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like and also I find that uh, breath work is also very mm-hmm. good because like usually I do yoga and breath work mm. before meditation and usually yeah. also cold exposure. So I do the oh, three yeah, yeah. and that yeah. after that I meditate because when my body feels like the fluids are, are flowing mm. in my body and my body feels open and also when my breath feels like it's open, it's so much more calm to sort of meditate and I feel like the yoga itself already sort of calms and, and you know, anchors in the, mm. in the present moment. So yeah, I, I definitely find that there's a lot of ways to make meditation easier mm. like don't eat a big meal before meditation mm. because then you got a lot of things going on here and it can be very difficult to focus and things like that yeah and when you ask me about my routines i usually smile a bit because they have changed so much in my life like i i usually do what i feel is is correct in the moment uh, i could mention in this moment I when I was like I said when I was a kid I was watching television a lot and I was playing video games and all that kind of stuff but then I understood like with, with the, there was also a lot of this uh, negativity and dark energies and 
things like that, especially in the gaming industry. Uh, from for television, I I stopped. I haven't had television since I was like eighteen. I just sold it away, and later on I understood television is also uh, it's an electronic drug that yes. is is used in our society. Uh, to, to kind of uh, get people in a certain kind of dull state like they don't think and it's also used like a, uh, a method of mind control yeah it kind of induces a, a mild form of psychosis yeah. which isn't actually that mild if you do it every day yeah and it's, it's like yeah. tv programmed yeah it's not called programs for nothing it's programming okay. so so i would advise anybody to throw away the tv uh, of course, yeah, of course you can have like, we also had sometimes uh, places where we had a screen, but we used the screen to watch some uh, information or videos on YouTube or something like that. But television programs themselves, or television channels, yeah, I, I don't recommend. So that was definitely part of the lifestyle change yeah, that, that, that happened, like so, a big thing. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Definitely. So what else? Yeah. Um, Nothing specific comes to mind now. Uh, sometimes, like, well, of course, with the eating thing, like, I, for myself, uh, I find for me it's best to eat two times a day because my digestion is a bit slow. Uh, some people eat eat a lot of, well, I mean, eating has, of course, because I have a food addict, so it's a different thing for me. But uh, awareness of what you eat and what how it makes you feel. There was a point even when I went to when I moved to UK. Uh, I found there this uh, pizza hut that had offer uh, buffet food, so I used to go there and eat a lot of pasta and pizza. And later on, I I start to notice how I felt feeling afterwards, and I realized that this uh, this grain is not good for me. I haven't eaten any gluten for like 10-15 years. That's very um, important part also of my healing my physical body. Yeah, awareness of food while you eat. I also had the addiction to sugar. It's good to, like I said, it's good not to think like, oh, just because you read somewhere, oh, this is not good for you. It's like experiment, like, be very attentive how when you eat something, feel like how it's affecting you. If it's something good, then it's okay. But how it makes you feel is more important. That's it. And you know, this is also the message that I really wanna wanna send through. Also, mm -hmm. that like there's no one way to, to do it, and exactly. and like the only way to find the optimum solution for yourself is is to keep experimenting mm -hmm. with different things and like. I found the same thing. I, I used to be addicted to sugar, mm. but I like the more I, when I used to eat sugar and then I would give some time for myself to meditate, to actually feel, mm. to stop with the body. Like, how mm. does it feel when I take sugar? How does it feel when I take alcohol or, oh, right. or yes. like things like that? And, and, uh, so, so this is sort of what helped me to eventually to just to let go of, of, 
you know, taking those substances mm. because uh, I was, I had enough awareness of why, why it's good to, to leave these things out because mm. it, it just feels bad. Mm. So like what I used to do before, I also had a food, food addiction and, and like, um, what I used to do before is like, I would eat a lot and then I would distract myself, you know, watch movies or, or series or whatever, just, uh, distract myself so that I wouldn't have to feel how bad it feels to eat the wrong things that, that your body, that it's just not good for your body or to eat too much, mm. etc. But when I started to, to stop, uh, stop with, with the feeling, like how, just feeling how bad it felt, then that really, that's when the change started happening. And, mm. and, and when it started happening, it happened really quickly. Mm. And also another one that was super important for me was to leave out like too strict diets mm. because I, I found that, you know, diets, they don't work. Diets, they work for, for, for a month. Maybe you can keep something up and then you crash, mm. crash back into the old habits. That's like right. the only thing that works is a, it's a full, full change of, of lifestyle, like mm. forever, mm. like really letting go of the old lifestyle right. and, and living in a new way, like, like choo choose to, uh, sort of, uh, uh, yeah, choose to just live it in a different way. I mean, you choose to live in a, di in a different way without having the urge to come back to that old old consciousness. You don't have to be so strict on yourself. Mm. You know, you don't have to like, uh, like I went on this ketogenic diet. I, I've oh, been there yeah. a couple of times and it really fucked me up <laughs> real bad after that. Like oh. this is, this is where, where my uh, eating disorder began with the ketogenic diet. Um, keto. Keto. Keto oh, keto. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I understand. so that was because it was too strict, you know, I was mm. too restricting of, of what I could eat and what I could not eat. And I was counting all the carbs and, and mm. things like that. Mm. And it's just, it was so unnatural for me. It feels like my natural essence just wants to be free. Mm. And, and all these restrictions is like, if I say that don't eat sugar, then from within me, there comes this one, like, like, you know, damn right. I'm going to eat sugar. Like if you don't restrict me, I don't have the, you know, the urge to eat sugar that much. But if you put the restriction on, it's like, fuck you. Like I'm going to eat all the sugar I can. <laughs> and then, so that happened. And, and it was, it was really, really bad for, for about a year or so. And then, then I just realized that, you know, I don't have to put these strict constraints on myself. I can learn to sit with the body. You trust the body because, you know, the body knows what it wants and what it needs and, body can tell you and i feel like going on a on a strict diet is like it's fear-based decision mm. because um can be. because it can be of course there's yeah there's it i i i feel like keto or fasting or things like this are mm. really good if you do them for the right reasons absolutely but but oftentimes we go on diets because we're afraid that we don't know how to decide for ourselves we're afraid that we will get caught up with the temptation etc but so when I just let go of the need to have any strict diet, I realized that I could, I could actually learn to trust my body. Like my body, like sometimes I eat more, sometimes I eat less, mm. but I can always listen to my body. And this mm. is how I, uh, I still live every, every day. Mm. I don't have any kind of restrictions and, and it works pretty well. Uh, mm. I stay healthy. So this is something that uh, I wanted to share about my, mm. my, uh, story and, happily hear about mm. what is what is your way of thinking about strict diets and uh, 
is there a strict diet that you follow or have followed in the past that have been has been helpful or still is in some way yeah well diet diets is interesting topic also when i stopped eating meat when i was 17 it's okay yep just give me one second yeah uh, okay go ahead yes yeah Continue. when i was i stopped eating meat when i was 17 uh, then i was like a vegetarian i didn't eat any meat anything from animals except the, the yogurt like i was uh, i didn't eat any meat for like maybe 10 years and then i just felt like somehow i felt my body was a bit weak somehow and I don't remember, somehow I was not feeling balanced on the diet. And then uh, at one point, actually, I was, uh, how was it? I was in Indonesia, I ended up there somehow. Um, and I, I was in one place and there was a restaurant and they were stealing her fish. And the smell of the, the fish came to my nose and I was like, my body said like, oh, I want this. Then I, I was like, I think, you know, I've been, uh, I haven't had any animal food for this and this many years, but my body says, no, I want to eat fish. And then I went to eat a fish. And interesting uh, process, like the, the, the night after I, I had the fish, I had this dream, like I was the fish. Under the, under the lake. You had a dream about being fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was like, if I actually, because you know, in the in the tribes, in the native tribes, when they eat animal, they say they get the spirit of the animal. Okay. And I was not, I don't know if it was that, or if it was just my mind creating this thing. Uh, but anyway, so now after that, I started to eat fish, because I always like to eat fish, actually. So that was one example of giving up this too strict thing and at some point in my journey I was even thinking I'm, I'm gonna be like a fruitarian and only eat fruits but that again it was like I felt straight away oh it's too much sugar and it was not really in balance so I had this also experiments with eating something and, and then I, I read somehow this is good and I leave it out but then actually later on I go and eat again oh like uh, Feta cheese. I like to eat feta cheese. Feta burger, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's like, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting journey. Like you said, it's like, um, most important to listen to yourself, like what you feel like calling to eat and not be too strict with yourself. Because I also, uh, I have a particular mind that if I have an idea, sometimes it gets into obsession can be very useful also of your mind true when you use it in the right, in the right way so what are some of the ways i'm curious let's talk about that <laughs> well for for example i i asked one of my teacher asirua we can talk later more about her uh, i asked her what she thinks about obsessive mind and she said oh it can be very useful if you use it for example to, to integrate the lessons that you are getting 
in, in a ceremony, if you use that, your mind to integrate the lessons in your life, it can be very useful. And yeah, like obsessive mind, I, I like to make research. I like to question things. I've always been like this kind of person. Like uh, even when I was a kid, I would used to ask why we do like this and that. And my parents would say, oh, you understand when you're adult or that's because we always done it this way. And I always been asking questions. And not everybody likes that. That's my that's way. It, yeah. Do you feel like you have to give your mind sort of like, um, do you get frustrated if you don't give your mind like an outlet? Yes. Yeah. So... So you need to regularly have something in a way to, to research or yeah, project yeah. or something to put your energy I into. Ha- I have very curious mind. Yeah. And, and I, uh, if, when I was uh, had this um, struggle with my mind when I was a teenager, I was like thinking I, I don't want to use my mind at all. I just want to be quiet. Which mm-hmm. I did through the meditation. But then there comes a point. I understood uh, my mind is also, it has a very, a lot of power and I need to use it in a good way. That's it. It's very functional. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's like when you feel depressed or anxious or, or stressed or whatever, it feels like the mind is your enemy Mm, and, and you have all these destructive thoughts and self-loathing and then you have all these Mm wants and desires that you would rather not have to deal with and etc but i guess once you sort of get beyond that you can make the mind sort of your ally and and use it as a as a force for good Mm. yeah um how i use my mind i make a lot of research like for example mm, wim hof we can talk about wim hof i love to talk about wim hof yeah and I used to, I didn't like, for example, go to swim in the, in the summer because I was thinking, oh, the water is so cold. And then I, I think it was like five years ago, maybe more. I was one place and uh, a friend of mine was showing this talk from Wim Hof telling about his breathing method and his, his method. And I, I started to practice his breathing method. And I heard like, oh, this is very good. And then I was feeling like, oh, well, he also says, go in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I had the resistance for that. But I, because of my mind, I made a lot of research how, how good it is. So my mind convinced me I had to do that. And then I went to, I started a cold showers every day. And then I went to swim in the, in the Avanda, like this hole in the ice people go in the window yeah in the lake or, the or lake. pond or a river or some yeah and yeah it's very good it's been very helpful in my life yeah this, it's this method excellent and i can totally totally back you up here like the cold mm. has just been such a great teacher i think you know what it teaches a lot is uh surrender like you you go in the cold first the reaction is like you get this fight or flight reaction. Mm. You start hyperventilating a mm. little bit. Your muscle stands like the body is getting prepared to get out because it's shocked. And so you just move beyond that by 
focusing on the breath, relaxing your muscles, mm-hmm. and and you're just in the cold. It's just you and the cold, and you're one with the cold, and and it can it can feel almost euphoric once you mm-hmm. really submerge mm-hmm. within that cold, and and the and the effects like even the studies show that you know like going into the cold can have like positive. Mm, mental effects like measurable effects for a mm. couple hours mm. uh, even a few hours after like a, like a ha- half a minute mm. in in the cold mm-hmm. like of course it's it's good to do a couple minutes even like I, I personally like to challenge myself to do longer and longer all the time as the winter progresses mm. uh, but like there, the benefits that that I not that I know personally it, it really helps to relax and to surrender mm. And it sort of uh, makes the mind, I feel like, more positive. Like, I feel like I start the day on a positive note mm-hmm. when I go into the cold. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think it has something to do with, like, uh, your sort of overcoming your mind, mm-hmm. in, in a sense. The mind is scared, and the mind is having resistant, like, let's not do it this morning. Mm-hmm. Let's just stay in. You know, it's warm inside. Let's just mm-hmm. stay stay in and, you know, check in. But, but you do it anyway, and it sort of... It gives you this certain confidence in yourself that you know sometimes my mind has a lot of resistance but i can do things despite of that resistance it gives you a lot of power you know mm-hmm. to 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 start your day on a good note 